Hey, hi, I'm Joy Baker, and I lead a ladies' Bible study and co-lead a life group with my husband. We're reading from 2 Timothy 3, verses 10 through 17. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, any persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil people and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete equipped for every good work. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, God. Amen. Thank you so much. God bless you. So glad to be along. Again, my name is Tom Short, and I am so glad to have the opportunity to teach this morning, and particularly on this topic and this section of Scripture. Actually, Chris had asked me a different section I teach in Tim Timothy, and it didn't work out because I was not available, and this one is a great one. And to introduce it, as Paul talked here to Timothy, he said, you followed my instruction, you followed my life, basically. And earlier in the chapter, Paul was talking about crazy times. In the last days, people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, lovers of pleasure, all about themselves. Crazy times that people will be living in. And it's kind of like reminds me of crazy times we're living in. Do you ever get that feeling that we're living in some crazy times? Do any of you have any uh, concerns about what 2024 is going to turn out to be like the next several months? Could it be a crazy year? I think so. But this also, I appreciate it because it took me back this weekend some of you have heard me talk about a prayer meeting I attended, the first meeting I ever attended in this church, and that happened, I believe, 50 years ago this very weekend. We had our 50-year anniversary just recently, did we not? Our, as a church, we celebrated 50 years of ministry and service as a church. And I'd like to take you back for just a moment to Tom Short 50 years ago. There he is. <laughs> Before I came up today, Mary Fallis said she likes that I always smile. And uh, that's me. Yes, that's me at a football game at Thomas Worthington High School. We weren't called Thomas Worthington. We were just Worthington at the time. And I was just a 16-year-old wanting to get on the, and, and make it in the yearbook photo as they walked by in front. If you would have asked me at that time in my life, 50 years ago, 19, actually 1973 in the fall, 73, who were my heroes? Who did I want to become like? Everybody looks up to somebody, don't you? Everybody has someone that you admire, you look up to, you 
kind of secretly wish maybe you could be like and for me as a high school sophomore uh, actually eighth grade ninth grade tenth grade there's no doubt who i wanted to be like and it was a basketball player and there he is who knows who that is i know jim who, who knows pistol pete everybody my age now some of you younger people don't know who he is but he still is the all-time scoring leader in the ncaa that guy averaged like 44 points a game and nobody even scores that much anymore in a single game and not only that he was a dribbler a passer and everything about him oh i wanted to be like pistol pete i had his picture up on my wall i had his picture on my notebook i had this picture right there on my notebook I, uh, every day at school, I'd look at it, and particularly, I so much wanted to be like him that there was a trademark about Pistol Pete. Who knows what it is? Pardon me? The NBA. Uh, that's Jerry West, I think, but it, there's something else about him. What was unique in his that everybody remembered? His socks. There they are. The baggy socks. And sure enough, I don't know how many of you did this, but when I was in eighth grade, my basketball team, I never washed them once. <laughs> and I let them droop down, and I was a little young Pistol Pete. Now, I might ask, so this was when I was at that stage in my life, he was, and actually, it's not my hero. I think it's more he was my idol. And I think of the pictures I had up in my room. I had Pistol Pete, I had Steve Prefontaine, he was a distance runner. I had a big poster of the Beatles. I think I had one of the Rolling Stones. Don't tell anyone I had one of Raquel Welch. <laughs> Can't believe my parents let me have that. But I had these different things up in my room. These were the people I was looking to, admiring. And when I went to that prayer meeting 50 years ago this week, Something was changing in my life. It didn't all happen at what I'm about to say didn't happen at once. But I began to live where I couldn't keep those same posters up on my walls. Because I was embracing a different set of people that I wanted to follow. And I wanted to be like. And this is what Timothy says. This goes right to our message today in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Where Paul says to Timothy... You followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, perseverance, persecutions, and sufferings. And it raises a big question, if we want to be rock solid in our faith, in days that are crazy, and days that maybe our faith will be tested, and days when our convictions will be tested, and our values will be tested, and when all this happens in our lives and in our culture and in our community and in our world, the question becomes, how will I have rock-solid faith? How will I not just be swept along with everybody else? Because this is what Paul is saying in 2 Timothy chapter 3. He's saying in the last days, the culture, the people... They're going to be given as lovers of self, lovers of money, lovers of pleasure. There'll be people who are religious, but they deny the power of God. And he tells us, he says, Timothy, avoid such men. And in light of all of these negative things that are happening in the culture, he says, but you, but you, you didn't live that way. 
you followed my teaching, my conduct, my faith, my perseverance, my sufferings, my persecutions. You stood out as being someone who was different. And I want to encourage you today, a simple message, who are the people that you look to? Who are the people that you look up to? Who are the people that you admire? Who are the people that you would like to be like? I know in my own life, as I was thinking of this area of uh, uh, my own, again, I've, I've been contemplating this weekend, my, this uh, experience of, of that 50 years ago. And I realized that in my life, when I was in elementary school, I really liked biographies, and I liked heroic biographies. I can still remember in fifth and sixth grade reading the, the, these, age of, you know, these books of George Washington, Abraham Lincoln, George Washington Carver, Thomas Edison, great leaders, great military leaders, great political leaders, great thinkers, great inventors, people who made a difference. And these people were heroic in my life. I would read their biographies and I, I was inspired by them. People who I might say often in our day and age today in our culture, some of them are being put down and denigrated, but to me they were heroes. Look at what they had done and I aspired to be like them. Somehow by the time I got in middle school though, something had changed. And I was no longer reading the biographies of people who are heroic but now I was looking at people who entertained me. I was looking at the people who could sing well or jump well or run fast or jump high or shoot a ball or, or do something that was entertaining. I'd like to watch them. I'd enjoyed watching them. And, uh, and, and I begin to, and I look back now and I say, were they my heroes? Was Pete Maravich my hero? Were the Beatles my heroes? No, they weren't my heroes, they were my idols. And wanting to become like them, and there's a distinction here. And somehow when I came, when I began to follow Christ, I got to the point of saying, God, God, God helping me say to renounce the idols and embrace the heroes. I began to read books of Christian missionaries, for instance. C.T. Studd, Hudson Taylor. I read the story of Corrie ten Boom, the hiding place, who suffered through the Holocaust and concentration camp for her courage in hiding Jews when, when uh, the Nazis were after them. I read stories in the, of people who were heroic, and I began to say, Lord, I want to be like that. I began to embrace their values. I began to follow their example. That night in that prayer meeting, I had two things, by the way, both of them really relate to today's message, two things that, were, that I was struggling in. This first one was, who do I want to follow in life? Who do I want to follow? Am I going to follow idols or am I going to follow heroes? And, and as we think about that, I don't want to get ahead of myself here. Let me double check my notes if I may. As I think about that, I want to ask you, who are your heroes? And actually, two questions I want to ask you. Who are your heroes, and what heroes or which heroes are you setting before your children? Um, the Christian church needs heroes. The world is putting idols in front of us and in front of our children 
who are presented as being happy and successful and having it together and admirable and it's so easy for us to want to be like them and to admire them and to envy them and it's even easier for our children to be like this you know a lot of us as we get older we lose heroes we don't really follow anyone anymore we watch them we watch people but you know i, I mean it's long ago i gave up my hope of running a four minute mile or making it in the nba so i gave up those idols but it's really easy also as you get older to say i'm not going anywhere <clears throat> heroes challenge us to to go somewhere in life heroes challenge us to make a difference heroes challenge us to to stand up and be courageous idols we just are entertained by them and the older we get it's easier the easy that we don't have any either that i'm not going to become like them in one in one way or another but our children have aspirations your children and your grandchildren are growing up and and the question becomes do you have heroes and are you setting before them heroes that are worthy of their life and worthy of them pursuing if you don't give them heroes the culture will give them idols let me say that really clear if you don't give them heroes the culture will give them idols in my ministry on campus one of the great one of the most common things i see our kids who were raised in a good Christian home by parents who loved and sacrificed for them and yet they walk away from the faith they leave the faith they're no longer interested in being Christians and I've given great thought to about what this is As a matter of fact I've recently written a book that's gonna be coming out soon on nine reasons young people leave the faith but one of them is this they have the wrong heroes we give them the wrong heroes. We give them the wrong people to aspire to. It's part of human nature to want to do more, to want to achieve, to want to be something. That's part of human nature. Be careful who you set before your children as people worthy of being emulated and admired and becoming like them. Now, I'm not against, you know, you might have some kid who's going to be in the NBA. That's fine. In itself, make sure he stays friends with me. Or you might have the next great singer who's going to, you know, out, outsell Taylor Swift. That's fine. Really make sure they stay friends with me. Um, but Timothy, uh, but, but let me say, Timothy was honored by Paul because he followed Paul's, what? His teaching. He knew what Paul taught. He followed his conduct. He knew how Paul behaved, and he followed it. He had an earthly example of what it meant to be like as a Christian. It wasn't, Timothy was following Jesus, but to help him understand what it meant to follow Jesus, he had an earthly example of someone who was following Christ. He followed his purpose. He had, Timothy had embraced the purpose, the calling that Paul had in his life. This is what leadership does. 
followers embrace that purpose of their leaders. If your idol is, if, if, if you're following an idol, your purpose might be your purpose in life. And there are people. Hey, we live in Columbus, Ohio, where people's lives rise and fall on how the Buckeyes do. And personally, I'm a big Buckeye fan, you know? I, I watch their games, I root for them. But, she, but I determined long ago, my joy and my purpose in life has got to be bigger than whether the Buckeyes win a game or not. They're on the field playing. I'm, I want to be more than a watcher in life. I want to be a participant. I want to be someone who makes a difference, not just cheering on someone else who makes a difference. You see what I'm saying? This is why Paul was commended. This, to be captured by the purposes of God instead of what the world wants to give us. You followed my purpose. You followed my faith. You followed my patience, my love, my perseverance. You even followed my persecutions. And Paul goes on to say that all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Why is someone persecuted? Have you ever stopped to think about that? Why do Christians get persecuted? It's not for telling people that God loves them. I've been persecuted, but I've never had anyone get upset with me when I say God loves you. Well, maybe once. But generally speaking, people like to hear that. I, you know, I, I encounter atheists on campus a lot, and they say, it's funny, they go through this progression that you see in the book of Psalms, verse 15, uh, chapter, Psalms 15. They start by saying, well, there's no God. And then they say, but if there is a God, he doesn't judge. And even if he judged, well, he loves me, it doesn't really matter. And I talk to atheists all the time, and they'll say that. They'll say, well, there's no God, but if there is a God, he loves me. And if I say, yeah, he loves you, they say, well, good, fine, we agree. Everything's fine. No one gets upset when you tell them God loves them. People don't even get upset if you tell them God loves you enough that his son died for you. Why would anyone be bothered by that? Really? God loves me that much? <laughs> I always knew I was special. I didn't realize that special. But people are persecuted when Christians, in their purpose, their conduct, their faith, their perseverance, stand up and do something courageous that goes against the grain. You see, this was the world Paul was living in. In the last times, people are going to be lovers of self. They're going to be lovers of money. They're going to be lovers of pleasure. That whole life, that's all that's going to be about. And you, Timothy, are to be a lover of God. And that's different. We as Christians, we have a march to a different drummer. We're on a different path. We're walking in the light. We're living a life that loves God and puts God first. We're, li we're following the great commandments to love God and to love others. And while others are thinking, no, it's about me and I want to do what I want and it's about my happiness and my success and my pleasure and how I get ahead. And when they see people who live a life, that the Christian life, and they, and they live it courageously even when others aren't, that's when we get persecuted. That's when people don't like it. And sometimes we try and say, how can I as a Christian live my life so that everybody will always like me? Well, listen, you shouldn't be a jerk and you shouldn't have people dislike you because you're rude and obnoxious. 
And you should be someone who loves and cares for people. But there are times where, like with Paul, he stood for what's good and what's true and what's right. And because Timothy would, he's saying, Timothy, you will be persecuted. Verse 12 here, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. When I think of being heroic, I think it requires danger. It requires a difficult situation. Actually, there's two types of heroic I want to mention here. And, the first, and, and let me see here the next slide. What makes a person heroic? I'm going to ask your, your heroes. What makes a person heroic? I think there's two types of heroism here. One is a heroism that, that faithfully obeys God day in and day out. And that takes courage. You might be a mother who faithfully, diligently, patiently works with your children, helps train your children, helps educate your children, who, who can look beyond their childishness and their immaturity and their problems and love them courageously as they're working through life experiences and they're working through who they are. Moms, that's courageous. And not everybody, not everybody rises up to that courageous standard. That's heroic to live that life. And God calls us to that type of faithfulness. And if you're doing it, that's heroic. Someone who shows up at work every day and it's tough and they're not appreciated. Maybe they're not being paid what they think they should be. Maybe they're, they're, they're browbeaten at work, and they, but they show up because they know this is their responsibility and they'll be faithful in their responsibility. That's heroic. I think it's heroic to show up at church each week. I think it's heroic you come to church. You, you're, you're making a statement to your children. You're making a statement in your life. You're making a statement to God. And you're making a statement to your children that this matters, this is important, to be here, to show up, to be present, to worship God, to say that that matters, to say that I want to learn from the scripture, to say that I want to participate with others like-minded, the community of God. And particularly, if the church is ever doing something you don't like, or maybe he said something you don't like, a lot of people just say, I'm gonna go somewhere else. I'm going to look for something else. I'm, I'm, going to, I'm going to go where they tickle my ear and say what I want to say and make me feel good. But it's, it's courageous and heroic to be committed and to love people even through the difficult times. And understand, folks, no relationship ever goes deep without overcoming conflict. And if you only avoid the conflict in life and say, I never have conflict, you'll never have deep relationships. Deep relationships are the fruit of conflict that is overcome in God's way. When I think of my heroes and some of the changes that went on in my life heroically, I think of people who've overcome great obstacles. I remember I sent my children to a private school, and you pay a lot of money for doing that, but we valued it. And I remember one of the first teacher nights that we ever had. 
And I walked into a class where it was a literature class, high school literature. And I sat down and the teacher was sitting up there on a stool. And as I sat there and looked, I said, is she blind? I think she's blind. I don't think she can see. And I was sitting there thinking, wait a minute, they have a blind woman teaching my kids literature? How can she do that? And I began to think, how much money am I paying for this? Where'd they get this woman? And the bell rang and she began her presentation. And I would say that this woman gave the most perfect presentation, word for word, such excellence, such wisdom, such godliness, that I almost wanted to just walk up and shake her hand. And that woman became a hero of mine. Why? Because she overcame an obstacle that others might have just said, well, I can't, do, I can't be great, I can't make a difference. She overcame an obstacle to have a powerful effect on the lives of hundreds of young people. She became a hero. She overcame an obstacle. I think in our church, we have a, we have a fella who has a speech impediment. And at one point early in his life, he thought, you know, he's kind of shy about it, kind of embarrassing. Didn't want to, you know, when he talks, it's kind of like, you know, embarrassing. And came to Christ, and Christ helped him accept and embrace who he was, Psalm 139, that God, had, he was fearfully and wonderfully made. And as a result, what did he do? He got involved. He, he began to disciple people. He began to say, this is no reason my, my weakness my impediment is no reason to sit back and not obey God. And so day by day, bit by bit, showing up, doing what God asked of him, being faithful, being obedient. And I'll tell you, the, the, the Columbus, Ohio, and, and parts of our country now are filled with young men who would say that this man, you know who I'm talking about, Dale, this man had a mighty effect, effect on their life. That's heroic. That's heroic. And heroes like this need to be honored, and they need to be respected, and we need to uh, lift them up. Do we not? Friends, I think the church has more heroes than we realize. We just need to recognize them. The church has people who are worth following. As Paul said to Timothy, you followed me. Everybody else went astray. They were lovers of self. They were deceivers. They were teaching false doctrine. But Timothy, you followed my example. And he was commended for that. And I want to encourage you. What heroes do you have? What heroes are you giving your children? Are you recognizing the common heroes in our, in our world today? They're all around us. And they're worth following. There's another type of hero... And that is a hero that arises in a particular situation. Let me read to you a quote, if I could. This is by Will Durant, a famous historian. And he, he speaks of heroes, and he says this. History is not shaped by great men and women, but rather by demanding situations that summon the greatness inside of men and women who take action. Necessity is the single most important ingredient in the formula for greatness. Not a particular individual's brilliance or lone leader's vision. Previously, it was thought that great results were the product of a hero. 
when in fact the hero is the product of great situations. It is demand that brings out the exceptional qualities of a person. I like that. It was thought that, it was thought that results were the product of a hero, when in reality, heroes were the result of great situations. My friends, I think we live in a time where every one of us will have the opportunity to be heroic, to be someone worth following, to have our moment, shall we say, to shine. Sometimes you see those moments coming. We got the Super Bowl this afternoon, right? There may be some people playing that game, and I know how these guys are thinking right now. And they're thinking, millions of people are gonna be watching me, this is my opportunity. I might make one play, I, may make, I might make one pass or one reception or one tackle that, will, that I will go down in history, that it will be played on SportsCenter over and over again. This will be my shining moment. And there are people thinking about that and they know this opportunity. But for most of us, opportunities to do heroic, courageous actions, they often come unexpected. They often come unexpected. Some of them can be big, some of them can be little. I remember one of myself. I remember once I was uh, in a restaurant and we always pray before we eat. We're grateful for every, every bit of food we have. A lot of the world doesn't have it. So we always pray and thank God before a meal. And I was in a restaurant once and I prayed and thanked God. And, uh, and afterwards someone came up to me and they said, boy, that meant so much to me to see you pray. I didn't stand up and announce the whole restaurant. I just bowed my head. <laughs> Didn't realize someone was watching me. Didn't realize I was being seen. Didn't realize that a simple act, a small act of courage in a public place to bow my head and thank God meant so much to somebody. Sometimes are, but I think we have, those are small times. We may have bigger times. I said, this may be a crazy year. There may be times when God calls you to, to be courageous, even this year. And there might be situations that arise that your action, that this is your moment, your time, your opportunity, and your action, you're stepping forward, you're being faithful to God in what might seem like a small thing, might be your opportunity to be courageous and heroic in a way bigger than you think. How many people in Scripture saw this? Daniel, when he said I, his, his moment of testing when he wouldn't eat the king's food. And he became a hero we talk about now, 2,500 years later, we talk about Daniel. Heroic in his government. Or Esther, the queen, who took who, who, her moment. And it says that maybe you're, God raised you up for such a time as this. And when her time came, and they said, you know, her, her uncle said to her, if you're faithful, then you're going to do really good. If not, God's going to have to use someone else. But this was her moment, her opportunity. And she seized it. And we talk about her all these many, many years later for being a heroic woman. My friends, the church needs heroes. Be faithful in your life. Parents, I want to say something. If you're not a hero to your children, you're likely to lose them. I want you to think about that. If your children do not see you as being someone with courage and integrity and character, 
you're likely to lose them. The world will offer other people for them to follow. The world will offer other people for them to admire. And if they do, they won't just wear the same socks they wore. They won't just want to be like Mike and the, you know, what they drink or the Gatorade or something. No, when we embrace others' heroes and others that we look up and do admire, we embrace their values, we embrace their beliefs, we embrace their lifestyle. Parents, listen to me. Your children matter. You know that. One of the greatest heartbreaks in life is to give, to, to raise your child and to lose them, to lose them to another value system, to another belief system, to, to just lose them. And what am I saying to you? Somehow you must be heroic before them. You must see them and don't hide it from them. If you go to work and you work hard to provide for your family, help them know what you do. I grew up, many of you grew up, didn't even know what your dad did. Do you even know what he went through each day at work? Do you know how he sacrificed to put a, a you know, house and food on your table and so on? Don't hide what you do. Let your children know your faith. Show up at church. Let them see that. They'll see you're here even if you're tired, even if you were out late the night before. The things that matter that you want to make sure your children embrace, be an example. And let them know that you're doing it even if it's hard. Because that's where courage comes forth. And that's where heroes are shown. Do you get what I'm saying? We, we, meet, we must keep our children. And for your children to be faithful to God, they've got to see that you did, you were. And not only that, but that you paid a price to be faithful to what God has called you to do. This is so important. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Courage is never seen when everything's going fine in life. Heroism never happens when everything's going fine in life. It is the difficult circumstances of life that, that arise, and when we are faithful to God, and when we have that integrity, and we do what God calls us to do, whether it seems big or small, it's at the difficult times in here, persecution, whatever it may be, that heroism comes forth. And that's what your kids want to see. Your kids want to be able to say, my dad's bigger than your dad. My dad's better than your dad. My dad's something like this. Listen, parents, we're competing. We're competing against celebrities now. You're not just competing against, uh, you know, the, 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 the other kid who's, who, of your, uh, the other parent of your kid's uh, peers. We're competing against celebrities to have something worth living. I'd like to say today, what you have to live for is worth, if you're living for Jesus, that's worth emulating. It's courageous. It's heroic. Let your children know it. Let them know what it's costing you. Let them know what it means to you. Share these things with them. Teach them these things. Let them catch your faith as, as Timothy caught Paul's. Who are you following? And who are your kids following? Amen? Amen. Well, there's a second thing, because you know, when I, when I went to that prayer meeting that night, I was following, you know, like I was like many young people, I had idols. And as I said, I learned to have some of the people in that church that night became people that I followed their faith, their conduct, 
to this day, to this day, 50 years later, I still have some of these people are still in my life and I look up to them and I respect them and I say that I follow their faith, their conduct, their persecution, I'm hanging on to this. But there was a second thing that was going on in my life at that time. And that was, uh, some of you have heard my testimony. I came to Christ through reading the scripture. I started reading the Bible and, and uh, after my freshman year in high school, I started reading the New Testament in a modern translation. I had grown up in church, going to Sunday school and so on, but as I read the Bible, it became so alive and so unique. And I, I said, wow, I, I had never heard some of this stuff. And, and how could I have gone to church and I didn't hear this? Maybe it's just that I was reading it for myself instead of having it read to me. I don't know, but it was so thrilling. And I was excited and I, I just reading the Bible, read the Bible. And, and I was so excited about it. Later that summer, I found a track laying on the ground at the fairgrounds. And our state fair explained salvation. It said for many people, the distance between heaven and hell is only 12 inches. I thought, wow, that's more than 12. Wait, wait a minute. How do you get that? It piqued my interest and said that's the distance from the head to the heart because it's with the heart a man believes. And I realized, yeah, I believed all this information about Jesus in my head, but I'd never embraced him from my heart, never really believed in him from my heart. And I was trusting in me Faith, my faith was in me and my goodness and that I'm, you know, all this type of stuff. My faith was not in Jesus to save me. My faith was in me. And that, that time I repented, I got saved, but I still didn't really know any Christians. There was this one, one woman who prayed for me. She was, uh, she's probably in her 80s, so, you know, she wasn't like a peer. And, um, and, I, and I loved her and I admired her, but, uh, you know, I didn't know anyone near my age who was really a believer. Months later, I did. I met some Christians and found a, a, a youth group where they were all saved. And, and during this time when I was excited about the Bible, people would tell me, Tom, we're glad that you found religion. But remember, it's the 20th century, so you can't take it too far. You can't be too excited about it. Don't take it too literally. We don't live like they lived back then. My dad would tell me this, Tom, remember, I'm glad you found religion, but it's the 20th century. My mom told me this, Tom, glad you found religion, but it's the 20th century. My I teachers at school tell me, Tom, uh, we're glad you've uh, found religion, but don't forget the Bible, you know, I mean, it's the 20th century. That's, that book was written a long, long time ago. It's the 20th century. I had a coach tell me that. I had a Sunday school teacher tell me that. I had a pastor tell me that. It's the 20th century. Listen, there was nobody more excited to see Y2K in the 21st century come than me. <laughs> no one has ever said that to me since. It's the 20th century. But I was at a point in my life where I had to ask, is the Bible really applicable today? And to what degree? And, and everybody was telling me this was the case. And I remember when I walked into that prayer meeting that was, this church was born out of, the, 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 the beginnings of this church way back in February of 1974. And when I walked out of that meeting, I, I just I had this overwhelming thought in my mind, no one in this room is gonna tell me Tom, we're glad you found religion, but when you read the Bible, just don't forget it's the 20th century. 
No one would tell me that. They were people who wanted to, to see the, the teachings of the New Testament come alive. They were the ones who were saying the Bible's accurate and true and right for today. They were going to inspire me to follow the Bible, not to withdraw from it. And this is the second thing, if you want to have a rock-solid faith in crazy times that Paul talks about in 2, Corinthians, or 2 Timothy chapter 3 at the end of this chapter. And I want to take a moment to talk about this. He says this. He says in verse 16, All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Now listen, that verse is like gold. There are so many promises in that verse. There's so much to learn from that verse. And if you want to have rock-solid faith in a crazy time when people are loving self and loving money and loving pleasure, and it becomes just every man for himself and whatever else, you need this verse in your life. And you need to believe what it says. Let's take a moment and talk about it. All Scripture is inspired by God. What this means, this word inspired literally means God breathed. It's like if you were to put your hand in front of my mouth now, and as I'm speaking, you'd hear breath coming out. And this is the idea. It's the breath of God. It's the words of God. We believe from Scripture, our faith, our belief, is that the Word of God, all Scripture, is in fact God's Word. He used different people to give it to us. There are about 40 different writers of the New Testament. And each one of them wrote in their own type style or voice. The writings of Peter are slightly different than the writers of Paul, not in theology, not in what they say, but, you know, Peter and Paul were different people. And so God used human beings to write his scripture and to, and to communicate that. And indeed, no matter what your personality type, no matter what type of person you are, there's probably someone who wrote scripture that you can identify with and say, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of like, like that. You know, I'm, I'm kind of like Peter, you know, impetuous. I can do it, Lord, you know. Ah, I'm sinking, you know. Um, you know, that, that some, some of you like Paul. Some of you may be like Mark. Some of you, you know, the quiet servant. There's different people in Scripture who, get, who wrote a Scripture. Some of you might be like Matthew. I don't know, any IRS agents in here? I don't know. He's a tax collector. And, um, but whoever you are, there's people you can identify with. And God used different people to write the Scripture. But it is his word. The scriptures are his word. And you stop and think about that. That God has given us, God has communicated with us. This is something somewhat unique about the Christian faith. We don't believe that you just walk out in the woods and you experience in closeness with spirituality. Although I like to be in the woods and get close to God there. But our God has gone beyond just general revelation of, you know, you look at the stars, you look at the ocean, you look at the waves, you look at the mountains, you look at the trees, and you're inspired, or you think your, your mind goes to, to uh, bigger issues and bigger things and eternity and infinity and great power and all these things, and you think in those general senses about God, but God has gone further. He's given us a scripture. And you and I live in this unique time of history where we all have a Bible. I've got numerous Bibles in my home. I'll bet you do as well. And 
in this room, I'm going to guess we are all literate. That there's no one here who cannot read. And so my guess is everyone here has a Bible. Everyone here can read it. And that is God's message. And God Almighty wants to speak to you through that. It's his word. It's his will. It reflects his heart, his values. It tells us what he wants us to believe. It tells us it's filled with promises that can shape your life. And if you believe them and have faith in those promises, they will make you different than if you don't. They will make you stand out. Then, like I said, you'll march to the different drummer. This is God's word. Stop and think about it. We often have it because of our, we all have them. We can be overly familiar with them, overly familiar with the scripture. We can kind of take it for granted. We can let it sit on our shelf for days without reading it. We can let it sit on our shelves. We can go months and years without reading it. And I stop and, and I ask you, if God were sitting in that other room, or let's just call it Jesus was sitting there, or let's just say the apostle Paul were sitting in the other room, or even if the pastor of the church was sitting in the other room, would you ignore him? Or would you say, wow, this is my chance to learn. This is my chance to ask some, I can ask Paul a question. I could talk with Jesus some. I could, I could talk with God. And if they were in the other room, we would not ignore them, but we can put his book on the shelf and ignore it. Years ago, one of my early trips to India, and I've gone a number of times, and there was a, we, were, we, we had some scriptures that were in the language, and we were in a village where basically none of the adults were literate, but the children were having opportunity to go to school and to learn how to read. And there was a young boy, he was probably about 11 years old, and we were talking to this village. None of them were Christian, and we were talking to them about faith in Christ, and, and by and large, you know, was, people were listening, but... But I don't, I, you know, but there was one, year, this 11-year-old boy, I handed him a New Testament and I said, you're learning to read. You're one of the few people in your villages that can read. I want you to take this Bible. This is the Word of God. God gave us this book. I want you to learn this book. And I want you to, you can read. You learn it. And you teach it to as many people as you can in your village and villages all around you. That little boy... He took the Bible and he shook. He realized he had a responsibility. He now had a calling in his life. I really look forward to getting to heaven someday and seeing what came from that. How many people that young boy affected because he took the word of God and said, I'm going to share it with others. My friends, all scriptures inspired by God. This is our belief that the scripture is God's communication to humanity. And that means you and me. He says it's good for four things. Number one, it teaches us. It tells us the right way to go. And in a world where right beforehand, Paul, Paul says that the world will be filled with imposters and deceivers, evil men who will, it says they will deceive, they will be deceived and they'll deceive others. Oh, do we live in this world today? Imposters, evil men, people who want to deceive you and will deceive others. This is the world we live in. And the answer, he says, you hang on to the scriptures. 
You know who you learned them from. I taught them to you. From a child, your mother taught you. Hang on to these scriptures. Everyone else may fall away, but you hang on to them. It's from God. It's good to teach you what's right. It's good to reprove you or to tell you when you go wrong. And we all need to hear that at times. Where have I gotten off track? Where am I mistaken? What's not lining up in my life? But then the third thing it'll do, it's good for correction. So God's word doesn't just tell us where we're wrong. It tells us how to get back on track, how to correct the mistake, how to, get, how to do what we ought to be. And then it tells us how to be trained in righteousness or to stay on track. So teaches us what to do, shows where we got off, how to get back on, and how to stay on. That's the word of God. And when we go to the word of God, that's what we should be expecting. We should be expecting God to teach me something, to show me where, I, show me where I'm wrong. Show me where I'm not believing right. Show me where I'm not acting right. Show me where I've got the wrong attitudes. Show me where I'm treating people wrongly. Lord, reprove me. Show me where I'm wrong. I, by the way, am not a person for deep introspection in life. I want to let the Word of God challenge me. I used to sit around and, and really be negative about myself. I used to tell myself, you know, criticize myself, a lot of self-condemnation. That's not what I'm talking about here. We come to God and we let God show us where we're off, and he'll never show you more than you, you can handle. If you're, if you're under self-condemnation or you're under accusation, you're walking around with this spirit of guilt, that's not God. God will reprove you in order to correct you and then to train you in what's righteous. And his is beneficial. He loves us and he disciplines us like a parent who cares for their children and just wants to make you better. That's what the word of God is for. And then look at this last part. Can you believe what it says? That the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Do you ever feel inadequate? Listen, if you never feel adequate, feel inadequate in your, life, in your Christian life, you're not pressing into what God wants you to do. God will always move us into areas where we feel inadequate, like I can't do it. And we go to God, we go to his word, we get his promises, we learn what it says, we, we fill it with the Holy Spirit, and God makes us adequate for what he's calling us to do. He stretches our faith. He moves us out of our comfort zone and expands who we are. And, my, and let's bring it all together. That's when you do heroic things. So, what are we saying? You want to have, you want to uh, rock solid faith in crazy times? Follow the right people, read the right scriptures. Follow the right people, be solid in the scriptures. I want to ask you a question. Um, if someone were to look at your life, do you think they'd say that person really believes the Bible is the word of God? If someone were to look at how you treat it, how you think about it, how you respond to it, how often you read it, how, how important it is in your life. If they were to compare your habits and your lifestyle with the scripture to other things in your life, would they say that, you know, the Bible is more important than, you know, whatever? What do they see really matters in your life? If they were to say, you know, your work and your, 
your family and your sports and your entertainment and your music and your money and your exercise and you know where's the bible fit in is it near the top like this is god speaking to me or is it like oh it's kind of like when i have time i and i feel like it, i fit it in i'd like to challenge you today to make study the bible a priority in your life a high priority don't just do it when you feel like it real maturity in life makes decisions and then they fit it into their schedule you don't go to work when you feel like it do you if you do you're gonna be unemployed soon I tell the students if you only study or go to class and you feel like it you're gonna flunk out if you only uh, feed your children when you feel like it if you only eat well you probably do eat when you feel like it that might be a problem <clears throat> but in life mature people make commitments I need to be here I need to show up at work, I need to be at school, I need to do my homework, I need to do these things. There's things in life we need to do. And you just do them because that's part of being mature. Children just follow their feelings. Adults make decisions and live in light of them. And I'd like to encourage you as adults to make the, the study of Scripture a part of your life, a priority. Not just something you do when you feel like it, but a priority in your life. And that means that what you have to do is you need to say, okay, I, I'm going to get a plan. And I'm going to have a time of day that I do it. I'm not just going to do it like, you know, it's, it's midnight and I realize I haven't read the Bible yet today. I'm going to fit it in. Maybe in the morning, maybe at lunchtime, maybe right after dinner, it, whatever works in your schedule. I'm going to have a plan. I'm going to have a time. I'm going to have a way of doing it. I'm going to be intentional about reading the Bible, and I suggest every day. Not just regularly. I mean, not just when you feel like it, every single day. Why? Again, Matthew chapter 4, verse 4. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Years ago, way back then, about, probably about, 19, you know, about the time I came to church here years ago, someone said, Tom, how often do you eat? How often do you eat? Well, every day, numerous times. Well, maybe you ought to get into the Bible, because if we don't live by word of the bread alone, but by the word of God, maybe you should be in the word of God every day. That made sense to me. And probably sometime almost almost 50 years ago, I made that commitment. Not, not a, that'd be a nice thing to do, but I made a commitment. I'll be in the Word of God every day. I'll read the Bible every day. And you know, I'm probably like 46, 7, 8 years ago is when I made that decision. I've not missed a day since. You say, Tom, that's incredible. Well, I think that'll just be normal. You ought to be able to say something like that. You could miss a day or something, you know, but you ought to be able to say, yeah, it's, it's like, I do this. It's part of my life. I believe it's the Word of God. And because I'm a follower of God, because I believe God's the most important thing, and I worship Him, which is declaring that He's of ultimate worth, then it's important to me to hear from God day by day. And even if I read in the Bible and I don't hear any something really particular that day, I'm still going to show up tomorrow. And even if I read in the Bible and, and I didn't get much out of it, I'm still going to show up again tomorrow because I'm going to be there and when God wants to speak to me he will but I'm going to do my part to listen and to be available I want to challenge you with that if you want to have rock-solid faith and don't want to fall away and you don't want your kids to fall away follow the right people give them the Word of God daily and if I could I'd like to tell you if you have trouble with that give you an opportunity I do a daily podcast 
every day. I don't miss a day. Sometimes it's hard. This morning I had to be here. And I, so I had to do it last night. About midnight I did it, did my podcast. And why? Because it's important. It's important to be in the Word every day. And I realize a lot of people have trouble doing that. A lot of people, they read and they say, I didn't get anything out of it. It didn't speak to me. Okay, there's nothing wrong with letting someone else teach you then. There's nothing wrong with letting someone else help you with that. And so I do every day a YouTube live at 8.30 in the morning, which you can watch later in the day, or you can even listen on the Apple, Spotify, or Google platforms to the podcast. And I want to encourage you to do so. If you're not having a meaningful time in the Word of God, and you're saying, we live in crazy times, and I don't want to be swept away by the culture, and I don't want to just be a lover of self, lover of money, and all these things. I want to be faithful to God. I want the Word of God to make me adequate for everything I need to do. I want to be taught, reproved, corrected, and trained in righteousness. I want to live by the Word of God. If that's what you want, and you don't have that, you're not experiencing that, then take advantage of a tool like this. I urge you to do that. Amen? I'm closing prayer. Father in heaven, we come to you today, and we thank you so much for the life you've given us and the life you've called us to. We confess, Lord, that we live in a time. It's crazy, Lord. Everyone's so caught up in themselves. There's so much narcissism. There's so much pride. There's so much affluence that the people who sight of you Lord, people are lovers of self, lovers of money, disobedient, rebellious. Lord, who knows what this year will hold for us in our culture, in our country. Help us, Father, to be people who follow the right people and who build our lives on the Scripture, the teaching of your Word. Help us, Lord, to have the courage, shall we say, to march to a different drummer. And, oh, Lord, I have a special prayer this morning for our young people that they would see in their moms and dads faithful, courageous Christians whose lives and values are worth emulating. And that our own children would say, we'd be able to say to our own children, you followed my faith, my teaching, my perseverance, my conduct. You followed these things. Lord, we pray that for our own children. Might their, I pray their heroes would be mom and dad more than Taylor Swift or whoever's going to throw the ball today, Lord. I pray we would be the heroes of our children. Help us not shy away from that high calling. We pray for this, Lord. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.